God. Psalms 114, and I'm going to read all the entire psalm, all eight verses. <laughs> Psalms 114, verse 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah was a sanctuary, and Israel well, excuse, excuse me, Judah was his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. It, what, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what happened as a result of it, and then you get some idea how major that statement is. The sea saw it and fled. That's the Red Sea. The Jordan was driven back, the River Jordan. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. And, and one of my, this, this is just, this next verse is just so amazing. Okay. What ailed thee, O sea, that thou fleddest? Thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back. What got a hold of you? What was it that you saw? <laughs> what was it that you saw that caused you to part like waters have never done before? What, call, what caused you to do that? Thou Jordan, what, what ailed thee, thou Jordan, that thou was driven back? What got a hold of you? Ye mountains that ye skip like rams, ye little hills, like lambs. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a strange water, the flint into a fountain of waters. That's referring to Israel being in the wilderness. They were out of water. There's a couple of million of them at least. Some say as many as four. It was at least two million of them. In the desert with nothing to drink with all of their animals. And God caused a river to flow out of a rock. What ailed the O.C.? What, what did you see, River Jordan? Because for a river to part, the water coming downstream has to flow against the flow. to flows back. So I've got a question for you this morning. Which God are you serving? Praise God. You may be seated. Jesus' name. We live in a life that's filled with circumstances. In the uh, last teaching of Jesus before his crucifixion, which is found in relative detail in John chapters 14, 15, 16, which was one lesson that he taught the apostles before he prayed with them in John 17 and then went out and prayed for himself in Gethsemane and then was taken and crucified. So his very last message to them, he concluded that message with these words. He concluded that message with these words, John 16, 25. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. No, John sixteen twenty five. No. Oh yeah. No, it's not. 
uh, I'm looking for the last verse in John. I thought it was John 16. I thought it was verse 25. Obviously, it's not. There you go. 33. I messed that up, didn't I? Well, I'm almost 74, so that's a good excuse, isn't it? Even though I've been doing that all my life. It's good to be old enough to have an excuse now. Well, I'm old. You know. <laughs> These things, and when you were younger, you're doing that, they, won't, they think you're sick. You better go get your brain checked. You can't remember. No. If you can remember stuff easy, you don't have enough in your mind. You don't have enough going on in your life. <laughs> Hallelujah. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Notice he said might. That's not a certainty. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, here's our problem. There are people sitting here. And people all over the world that became Christians because they think Christianity is for the purpose of making them a better person and giving them a better life. That, they think, is the purpose of Christianity. God wants to make me a better person and give me a better life. I'd love for you to show me that in the Bible. I'd love to believe that. because If, I, if, I, if you'll show me in the Bible, I'll believe that. But if you can't show me that in the Bible, how do you believe it? The Apostle Paul said of his life, the things I would do, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. He said, the will is present with me, but how to find out how to do that which I will, I find not. Oh, wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the idea that Christians are perfect and that they've got this perfect life is so far from the scripture, it's ridiculous. And Jesus said, please leave the scripture on the screen if you don't mind. Jesus said, last words of teaching to the, the, the apostles, the ones upon whom uh, he's going to, they're the foundation of the church according to Ephesians chapter 2. The, the apostles, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So this one, <laughs> speaking to those, Jesus speaking to the apostles who would be the foundation of the church, that their teachings would be the foundation of the church, and the reason that their teachings would be the foundation of the church, because what he said was this, and Notice, you'll notice how quickly people begin reading in the middle of sentences, right? Matthew chapter, I'll just start with verse 18, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said unto them, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. The Greek word there is not dunamis, which is power or ability. It's greater than dunamis or power. It is authority, exousia. Having the power to do something, have the right to do it, it's not the same thing. So Jesus said, all power or authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's not a period there. It's a colon. And the next, the rest of that sentence, which is the next verse says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. 
Now, as a side note, you can look all through the Bible and you'll never find one time where the apostles baptized anybody saying the words in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. So they didn't obey this verse then, did they? Or maybe they did, and those that repeat these words except what they did are not doing what the Bible says. So these people, these apostles, he is speaking to those that he is, he is counting on to be the foundation of what he came to do. Matthew chapter 16, 18. And, uh, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he's speaking to these guys. And he's telling them to tell us this. Matthew, uh, John 16, 33. In the world, you shall have tribulations. The Greek word there is ellipsis, and it means pressure. It means God's going to allow us, as his children, to frequently go through things that cause us pressure. Now, that's guaranteed. So you can say you don't believe the Bible, but everybody here has experienced the fulfillment of that verse, haven't you? Every day. So if your goal in life is to have a life that is pain-free, problem-free, pressure-free, then Jesus isn't participating with that. He has no intent to do that. Why? This is not what he's done everything for. This life is temporary. That's why our faith in obedience in him is intended to give us eternal life. Not eternally here. This is just, this is just preparatory to the big thing, to the real thing. That's why it doesn't matter whether he gives you seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years, 70 years, or 700 years. It doesn't matter. It's temporary. So what is the purpose of this? The purpose is to keep us reminded this ain't heaven. This is not it. And the reason people participate in religion is they're just trying to not go to hell. They're not trying to serve God. They're not, they don't really have faith in God. They just want to pay their dues so they don't go to hell. Well, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. It's like trying to lose weight thinking about not eating. Trust me, you can't lose weight thinking about not eating. If you don't have a diet that lets you be full all the time, you're going to eat stuff you shouldn't. Dieting is not starving. I don't want to get off on that subject. (laughs) Praise God. But thank God for the grace to lose weight. I, <laughs> there are people that don't recognize me anymore. That's a good thing. But the problem is, I always never recognized the fat guy. That was the problem. I never could adjust my mental image of the fat guy. So, thank God. Life. By design, this life, this temporal life, by design, is full of trouble. I don't care how much money you've got. 
I don't care how famous you are. It's full of trouble. I don't care how many people envy your life. Your life is full of trouble. You may hide it well, but it's full of trouble. And I'll say it again. He never promised, nor did he ever intend to make you a better person or to give you a better life. What he intended to be was to be your God in this life. Well, here's the problem. The problem is all of us have something very much in common. I don't care where you come from. I don't care how much money you have or don't have, how how much education you've had or not. I don't care what kind of house you live in or even if you have a house to live in. I don't care. that None of that matters. We all have the same thing in common. We want to be in control. We want to make our own decisions. It's my life. I will do with it what I choose. That's exactly right. But that's not biblical Christianity. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of, of what? Life. Here's the path of life. It's not health. It's not riches. It's not problem-free, pain-free, pressure-free life. No. Life is in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And right hand there is not a physical position. It it, it speaks of a, a, a place where his authority and power can be manifested. So I get in his presence. I live in his presence. There is fullness of joy. Well, you Christians don't have any fun. No, but we're happy. The reason people have to seek out fun is they're not happy. Fun and happiness are not synonymous. Have all the fun you want. In fact, you can have so much fun you can't even remember the fun you had the next morning. But you're not happy. Not that next morning you're not. You may may, may have been the life of the party the night before. But you're not happy the next day. You're Googling for hangover remedies. But the sound the keys are making as you type is giving you pain in the head. It's so loud. Oh, that's, that's, that's a great life right there, isn't it? Woo! But when you don't know any better, it's the only life you got. In, the, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And when you give yourself to him, so that you can be his conduit for manifesting his power in the earth. There is pleasure forevermore. Now, you think about this. He gave us five senses. All five of these senses crave the pleasure that each is capable of experiencing. Seeing, hearing, smelling, uh, tasting, and uh, feeling. And each one of those enables us to ex- experience pleasure. But let's just take, talk about tasting a minute. Oh, man. It's been a while since I had one, and that's okay. 
But have you ever had a molten chocolate cake from Chili's? Or a big bowl of Haagen-Dazs chocolate ice cream. And that's really good. Except for the fact, how long does it stay in the mouth versus how long it stays on the waistline? The pleasure. No wonder the scripture says there's pleasure in sin for a season. Because you tasting your food. The problem is I've never gotten myself to slow down eating. I guess there would get me a little more pleasure if I could eat, if I could chew each bite 20 times. Not for the purpose of digesting, just so that I could maximize the taste. But it's just like gum. Gum is really good when you first put it in your mouth, but you chew it a little while and there's no taste left. You're going, why am I chewing this? Right. And all natural pleasure is just like that. It starts here, but the problem is the price that I pay for overindulging in any pleasure doesn't make my life better. But if that's all you've got, if that's all you've got, if that's it, you don't have anything else than that. Well, that's all you know. Jesus offers an alternative. When I say he didn't promise to make your life better, he never promised to make the rich poor or the poor rich. He said the poor you're going to have with you always. Why? Because it's a test of everybody else's motive. Because if if it's only about me and not about others. You say, well, that's not fair. Yeah, but you're missing the whole point. Solomon prayed it this way. He said, Lord, don't let me be so empty that I curse you. Nor neither let me be so full that I forget you. So there's a temptation no matter what your life is. There's a temptation. Now, it doesn't mean whatever circumstance you're born in is the one that you're condemned to stay in. I don't believe that at all. Because I've watched for 51, almost 50 years now here. The, September's our 50th anniversary of church. I, I've watched God take people <laughs> out of the, the, most, the worst circumstances and bless them abundantly. But you know what else I've watched? I've watched the great majority of them end up forsaking the God of the blessing and began to serve only the blessing of God. What he gave them replaced him in their lives. There was a couple came here decades ago. Most of you wouldn't have a clue who they were. They'd been married didn't, for 10 years, didn't have a child. And there was a prophet. In this case, I'm using that term loosely. That came through here and prophesied to them that they were going to have a baby. And it happened. And it was the worst thing that ever happened for their spiritual well-being ever. Because that child, they were both older when the baby was born. And that baby, that son, 
became their everything. They served that boy, not God. They made all their decisions on what was best for that boy. They never even asked God his will. Today, they're not in the church, and that boy doesn't know anything about God at all. Now, you tell me, was that the will of God? You know, eternity's forever. This is not. The Bible says our life is just a vapor. And the great thing about preaching when you're old, you can say that definitively. I don't know where 74 years have gone. I don't know. I have a bunch of memories, but I have to consciously think about that memory and try to put it in connection with other things so that I could even remember how old I was when that happened. Oh, I see head shaking of people that's not old. Isn't that amazing? It's the truth for all of us. What does that tell you? If you have memories that you have to make an effort to put a time and date on, it proves this. It proves life is just a vapor. And when you're younger, you think you're immortal and that you have forever. You know, it is foolish for young people to despise or to disrespect the elderly. You know why? Because they have memories of being where you are but you don't have any memories of being where they are. They remember. I got clear memories of being 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, than I do of being 70, 71, 72, 73. Why? Because those, were the, those, those years set the direction for my entire life. And the flippancy with which some approach the decisions they make at that age proves they don't have a clue what they're doing because they don't have the soberness and they're not consulting with those that are experienced it to understand how important it is to make the right decisions at that age because you're going to live with those decisions forever, relatively speaking, in this life. Unless, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ enables you to be forgiven because you let him. In, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Which God are you serving? Ultimately, there's only two. Because ultimately, we're either doing his will or we're doing our own will. Ultimately, either he's making our decisions because we're his, we belong to him, we know he loves us, we know he wants what's best for us, not best by our definition, but best by his eternal definition and our place in his eternity. Or we're making our decisions, and the decisions we make only are from the perspective of what's best for me right now. That's the flaws in making my own decisions because I don't know tomorrow. Now, there are things I, I may be expected to do today. There are things I've got, I've made commitments to do today that I, I, I fully expect to do them. But I can't tell you that. 
I got a short trip from here to the house. And I meet my wife there, and there's things we've got to go do together. Some sick people we got to go visit, some ministers that's, uh, that's going through some stuff we, we, we got to go see today. Because that's primarily what I do these days, right? And that's great, but it's a short trip from here to there. I can't assume I'm going to make that trip safely. That's foolishness. The greatest deception there is is the deception that mankind does to himself because he thinks he's in control of anything. You can make, <laughs> God makes a decision. He has the power to bring that to pass. You can make any decision you want. You don't have the ability to make that happen. You have the right to decide, but you don't have the ability to enforce it. You don't. Now, here's the problem. With a little bit, we have succeeded at that individually. It's just enough to totally delude us into continuing to try. There, no preacher in his right mind wants to make your decisions. No preacher in his right mind wants to be in charge of your life. No church that is a biblical church is in the position to make your decisions for you. It's not biblical. So our, our giving our lives is not to follow a preacher. It's not to be a part of a church. That, 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 you know, there may be a preacher involved and there's people we're, we're going to fellowship with, but this is between us and him. It's not between us and a preacher. It's not between us and the, and the, the body we fellowship with. It's between us and Jesus. And when you take the person of Jesus out of it in your relationship, then the question is what God are you serving? Are you, Doing what the pastor says because you want the pastor to like you? Are you doing the things you do because you want the church people to like you? Or are you just trying to please God? Because trust me, any preacher you displease because you're pleasing God? Eh. Wrong answer. Wrong preacher. Any church you can't be a part of because you're pleasing God. You're doing the will of God. Not the will of God used being, or the terminology, the will of God being used as a master covering for what's really in your heart. This is what I will, but I'm going to say God wants me to do that. No, no. Because the will of God is never going to be different than the word of God. Okay? I've had people tell me, well, the Lord told me I could stay home and be a Christian. Ah, there was a, there was a God that told you that. But it's not the one in the book. Because then he's a liar. So I don't come to church because the preacher says I'm supposed to. I don't come to church because the church says I'm supposed to. I participate with the body of Christ. Because Jesus said it's his body. So which, which God am I serving? Whosever will I'm doing is the God I'm serving. Now, I have been married 51 plus years, and other than pleasing Jesus, my number one mission in life is pleasing Alice. 
But Jesus frequently checks to make sure which one of those two has the preeminence. Because as long as I can do the will of God, I want to do anything I can to please her. But he purposely, periodically puts me in the place where that's not what she thinks. That's not what she wants. But he says clearly, do this. Well, she used to take it personal until she realized, I'm not rejecting her. I just have a... She has the greatest claim in this in this temporal world. The Bible says, I belong to her, she belongs to me. That's the greatest claim there is in this world. But there's a greater claim in the spirit world and eternity. And he has the greater claim. Who, which, which God are you serving? Now, I read these verses. And it's a, what, a, what a nice story this is. Ooh, what an awesome story this is. You know, what ail the O.C.? Boy, is that poetic or what? But the question is, is that uh, <laughs> face recognition? I couldn't get it to open back up. Is that really, is that relevant to us? Does that mean anything to us? Well, you know, I'm, I'm struggling whether or not I can pay my rent this month. And you want to talk about the Red Sea parting? I got this pain in my neck. That I've had for years. And, and I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this. The Red Sea parting and the Jordan River rolling back. You want me to talk, you want to talk about a God like that? And then I got all these problems he's not fixing? Huh. I wonder what that's about. If the God my flesh wants to serve is the God of my own will, I want to do my own will, I want to be in control. I wonder if it's possible that the reasons for all of my pains and problems and pressure is a loving God who's trying to convince me you can't serve two gods. You're either serving one or the other. And the one whose will you're doing is the one you're serving And if you're living by your will, you're your own God. Good luck saving yourself. And I don't believe in luck. You can't save yourself. So if you're doing your own will, you're your own God. That makes you you your own Savior. How's that working out for you? You're such a great God, you can't fix any of your problems. I've had people say this to me over the years. I don't trust God. Why? He's let me down. And I don't trust people either. Either They've let me down. I said, well, who do you trust? I only trust myself. <laughs> really? And uh, you've never let yourself down? Quiet. It gets really quiet then. Nobody has let me down in my life ever more than me. Nobody's ever let me down more than me. And I'm going to trust me instead of God? Because he's let me down. You know what I mean by he let me down? I wanted him to do my will. And he wouldn't cooperate. And people have let me down. Why? Because I wanted them to do what I wanted them to do. And they wouldn't cooperate. 
So the reason I trust myself isn't that I haven't let myself down. It's that I want to do my will. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. It's what I like that matters and nothing else matters. And which God are you? Oh, you're God John. You're God Joe. You're God Pete. You're God Mary. Yeah, because I'm in charge, see. And what are you in charge of? Nothing but the decision-making process. That's the only thing you're in control of is the decision-making process. You have control over nothing else after the decision's making made. You can't make your decision happen. Now, again, we can try really hard. And the greatest curse in this temporary life that's just a vapor is for that to seem to be working for you. So you never realize you're not God. Because ultimately, Ecclesiastes, the wise man wrote in Ecclesiastes, nobody has the power to retain their spirit in death. So if you haven't figured out you're not in control before then, just try not dying when it's time to die. Just try not, not dying when it's time to die and see how that works for you. It doesn't work because that's the ultimate proof to you and I. I'm not God. You're not God. Now, well, he's a bully and a tyrant. He's none of those things. He's not any of those things. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, please. Let's read a little bit. This is my God. I'm going to talk to you about my God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep reading till I uh, keep moving until I tell you to stop. Thanks. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What about this love of God? For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's not a bad word. It simply means for those that are living for themselves by their own will, and they're not living toward God and His will. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, and this is King James English for uh, recommends. He's recommending his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was as far from God as I could get, he died for me anyway. Now, my parents loved me. They did what they could for me, but they had, my dad was in the Navy. They had limited resources. My wife loves me. I, I, I only eat out for her benefit because you've heard me say this. This is the absolute 100% truth with no hyperbole at all. 
If I could eat at her table every meal the rest of my life, I would never eat anyplace else. I don't care if it's sandwiches she's just fixed for me. We were, she was 17 years and three months old when we got married. You say, that's terrible. Really? It was such a negative thing. We're still trying to make it after 51 years. You know why it worked? It was the will of God. It wasn't my will. I'm 22, almost 23 years old. I don't want to marry some kid that's about to start high school. The Lord says she's the one. Boy, was he ever more right. And from the first day of our marriage, oh, Lord, the food was just, I gained literally, I know because I was wearing uniforms that no longer fit, I gained 10 pounds the first month. So my weight gain is all her fault. Well, I mean, she cooks this good food. And, 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 and she spent all this time cooking and I'm a fast eater, right? This is true. She, she spends hour, two hours cooking a meal and I sit down there. I can be done with it in 10 minutes. Not if I want to stay married. And I can't chew slowly. And so if I'm just sitting there, she thinks I'm, don't appreciate it. So you want more of this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me another plate. Oh, it's good. It's not a sacrifice. It's just that. (laughs) Yeah. When I was a sinner, when I was focused on doing nobody's will but my own, he still died for me. That's how much he loved me. That's how much he loves you. Can I know God and be lost? Can I be a Christian and be lost? Well, let's find out. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Here these last year or two, I just hardly can't minister without these verses coming up. And this is very critical here. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, how do I get to heaven but he that doeth the will of my father which is in heaven there it is next verse many will say to me in that day lord lord have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and according to the word of god and i don't i'm not going to take time to prove it but i can that in order to do those things you have to be baptized with the holy ghost you have to have the holy ghost And the emphasis they put on the name is the kind of emphasis somebody's been baptized in the name and believes there's neither their salvation in any other, for there's none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So they emphasize the name like that. So I believe that these people are saying, Lord, Lord, had been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. But then he says, then will I profess unto them. I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye worker of you, ye that work iniquity. The word know there doesn't mean he had no knowledge of them. That Greek word there, it's a different word than just to have knowledge. Uh, you know, I, I know who uh, uh, 
unfortunately, uh, many of the congressmen senators are today. I don't know them. They don't know me. I don't have I don't have a knowledge of them. I don't have experiential knowledge with them. The Greek, please leave that one on the screen. That experiential knowledge, this experiential knowledge. He said, I never knew them experientially in a knowledge that I approve of our relationship. I never, they know me. They say they know me. I'm not denying they know me. But I've never approved of our relationship. Why? Because he's telling us. Because they didn't do the will of the Father. They, they worked iniquity. And what is iniquity? Making my own decision, running my own life. Because that's idolatry. Hear me, please. In heaven, there's only ever going to be one will. In heaven, there's only going to be one will. The Father's. And nothing and nobody will not do the will, excuse the double negative there, will not do the will of God in heaven. So how in the world can those that don't want to live by the will of God here expect to be saved in heaven when there's only one will? Oh, well, I'll do my will here, but when I get there, I'll do what he says. Really? 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 That's like trusting somebody says she loves you and marrying them and find out later her definition of love is not anywhere near yours. When I was a kid, we called it going steady. Now they call it marriage. Because when we were going steady, we'd break up with people. Now you get married and divorce. It's same thing. In their eyes. So here's the question, my friend. Which God are you serving? This one that part of the Red Sea, part of the Jordan River, delivered Israel, who was the backbone of the economy of Egypt because they were the slaves that did everything in Egypt. He delivered them out as in mass because Pharaoh wasn't going to let them go. They were God's people, but he wouldn't let them, wouldn't let them go. So God persuaded him. It took 10 different plagues for him to finally say, get them out of here. We can't take this anymore. Then he changed his mind because he realized that he didn't have the, 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 the Israelites, the Hebrews had done all of the manual labor in Israel for over 400 years and the Egyptians didn't learn to do any of it. Because they didn't have to. Egypt was never a world power again after the Israelites left because all of those that did the work were gone. They were gone. Do you ever do you ever think about hurricanes? Now, I was born in Florida. My dad was stationed there while I, when I was born. Uh, and so I remember as a kid having to be concerned about hurricanes. Now, in Maryland here, we don't 
worry about them too much because they don't really kind of get to us. We may get some wind and we may get some rain, but we don't get the heavy. But you ever look? You ever look at that? I've got a couple of her apps that show hurricanes and whatever. And you know where they start? Do you know where the disturbances start? That become hurricanes? Where do they start? West Africa. Where, where did most of the slaves come from? West Africa. What is the primary target of hurricanes? The Caribbean and the southern part of the United States. Now, if I didn't have this accent, you might think I was being whatever. In other words, in this world, choices we make have long-term ramifications, not just on us. If you've never been in a hurricane, you need at least have some pictures or videos to watch the force of it. It is, you know, out Midwest and out West, especially they sometimes in the South, they have tornadoes. You can have a tornado that leaves your house alone and goes right by you. That doesn't happen with hurricanes. There's probably more, no more devastating natural disaster than hurricanes. And every hurricane <laughs> in the that affects the United States on the eastern half of the United States, they all start in that same general area and come across the ocean and target somewhere. The northern part of South America, they target the Caribbean islands, and they target the southern part of the United States. You don't think God has got a justice? Yeah, but these people aren't guilty. No, no, they're not, but not directly. But there's a price to pay for going against the Word of God. There's a price to pay for mistreating people. There's a price to pay. So people were trying to get rich off of other people's labor and lives. They made choices, and they made choices that were legal at the time for the most part. That's why a law saying you can do it doesn't make it right. Hello? You can just, you can, you can just take that and go wherever you want to with it. Just because the law says it's okay doesn't make it okay with God. And there always will be consequences, no matter what the law says, if I'm violating the law of God. So people go, <laughs> you know, well, that's not God. Those hurricanes aren't God. And, 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 I, and I know, I know, that, that, could get, that could get me blasted the kingdom come. So be it. I'm just pointing out a fact where they originate from and where the target is. That's, those are weather facts. 
Is that coincidence? Now, maybe you believe in coincidence and luck, but I don't. I have a father that I pray to every day. And part of my praying is our father, which art in heaven. And and it's not the words I pray. It's the acknowledgement. My God is over everything. You can control your will. He controls circumstances. I can't believe nobody's got a mask on yet. So we can protect ourselves from the coronavirus. Really? Hmm. I studied, uh, I, I was doing some reading, and I, I came across this. and um, The island of Molokai in uh, the Hawaiian Islands uh, was, ended up being a, primarily a leper colony for a couple of centuries, uh, at least one, one and a half centuries. And uh, that's where they sent the lepers because, of course, leprosy is so contagious. And uh, there was a priest that believed it was the, uh, the will of God for him to go and minister to the lepers. If I remember the facts correctly, he ministered to those lepers in that leper colony for 30 years before he got leprosy. 30 years. How can you be around something that's so highly contagious for 30 years? Well, it eventually caught up with him. Now, you're missing the whole point. The whole point is he was going to stay there till he died anyway. He had no intention because when he went, he already considered himself a dead man because that's what he felt it was required of him. These people needed ministry. He was a minister, and he went there. God was in control of that. Now, you can believe in accidents if you want to. You can believe in coincidence if you want to. And God help you. You must live in a lot of fear. I believe my God's in control. If I had a heart attack and dropped dead right now, that's his business. So if I know he, he's in control and I do his will, there is nothing that I have to fear. Because whatever he allows, it serves his purpose. And since I serve him, I serve his purpose. Because there's life in thy presence, his fullness of joy. That's the path of life. In his presence, fullness of joy. And being submitted to him so that he can be glorified through me are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> and however long I'm supposed to be here, I'm going to be here that long. The issue is what am I going to do with this time I'm given? Now, the verses that I read to you today at the beginning said... Uh, Israel, when it came out of Egypt, Judah, that was, I won't go into the depth of that, but that was the primary tribe of David. Judah, uh, which is one of the 12 tribes, Judah is his sanctuary or his sanctified habitation. And Israel was his dominion. 
And when the sea saw that, and 40 years later when they got to the Jordan River and the river saw that, what was it the sea saw? What ailed the O.C.? What was it the river saw? Now, in my lifetime, I have seen some major, major, major miracles. But the problem is, too many of us haven't. Too many Christians try to believe in a God they don't really believe in because, okay, historically, he rolled back the Red Sea. Okay, I'll give you that. And historically, he parted the Jordan River. I'll give you that. And historically, he fed Israel with miraculous manna or uh, which was an equivalent in this context, uh, principle-wise, of wheat. And every morning, this manna was on the ground, and they would go out and collect it, and then they would grind it into flour and make bread out of it, and that's how they lived for 40 years, with not without stores to buy in, without fields to plow and plant and sow, uh, so, so, plow and sow and reap. Okay, I'll give you that God that did that, did that then, but he's not doing that stuff now. I wonder why. Because then it happened because Judah was his habitation. And Israel was his dominion. I wonder if the church today is the habitation of God. I wonder if the church today is his dominion. I wonder if the church is just practicing religion. How many of us today are sitting here, and some of you will come back tonight, and some will be here Thursday night, and you may do some other stuff, but the, the percentage of people involved, it shrinks very rapidly, depending on what else. How many of us are just doing that because it's part of our faith? It's part of our faith. Really? It's part of our faith. I, uh, how would it work for me to walk in the house uh, this afternoon with my wife there and say, Honey, I'm home because it's part of being married. How do you think that's going to work? She's, gonna, she's not going to go, Oh, thank you for coming home today. I was really worried you weren't coming. Thank you for your willingness to be obligated to be here. Now, if you're not married, let me give you a clue. Doesn't work. The other day, I'm sitting there trying to pray, and I'm trying to get ready to teach some lessons in the studio, and the Lord presumed to be able to interrupt my prayer and talk to me. I'm sitting there trying to get in tune for whatever it is he's wanting to do in the studio, and I only taught. 13 lessons that day. But he's talking to me, and I wrote it down. This is what he said. He Just like this, I heard it. Prayer time. Hmm. So my people have a prayer time. Hmm. How would it work for them to have a wife time? I 
I can just see that. Now, okay, uh, wife, this is our time together. I'm disciplining myself. I am disciplining myself to spend time with you because you're my wife. Ready, go. Okay. And okay. Up. That's up. All right. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow at the same time. Because the rest of the time today is me time. Really? Is that your Christianity? It's not the one in the Bible. Christ time and me time? Prayer time and me time? You, you don't believe you're supposed to have a regular time to pray every day? I'm not preaching against that. I'm talking about thinking that you, you put that time and you pay your dues. The rest of the time's yours. Really? We don't live, we, we don't, it, well, if, you, if you're living like this, married, get ready for a lawyer fee because you're going to be divorced. <laughs> but you, don't, you can't live like that married. I'm not married part of the time. I'm married 24-7. So my question for you is this. Which God are you serving? Now, Luke chapter 17, verse 5. If you want to know why we're not seeing more dramatic miracles such as is in the Bible, I'm going to tell you why. No, I'm not. I'm going to let Jesus tell you. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Next verse. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, which is... Uh, in principle, the smallest of all seeds. So he's talking about the smallest of all faith. You might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up, plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Well, why aren't we seeing that kind of stuff happening? Oh, he's saying, you want me to increase your faith. You're missing the point. It's not faith, more faith you need. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, make, me, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Next verse. You say, that's terrible. No, it was his job. We all do things on our jobs, not our preference, don't we? It's our job. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? King James language is, I trow not. The, the Greek is literally, and therefore the literal translation of it would be in our vernacular today is, I don't think so. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. So the point here is this, okay. The point is, I can have all the faith in the world, but that faith doesn't operate through an unsubmitted life. And what is submission? Submission is simply this. By his grace, I do his will and not my own. 
the things I'm praying for will happen in the proportion to which I'm submitted. So if I'm praying for stuff that's not happening, that lack of an answer is supposed to be a message to me that the problem isn't what I'm praying for and it's not God and it's not not having enough faith. The problem is I'm not submitted enough. What is enough? Okay, now I realize this kind of message doesn't build crowds, does it? No, this kind of message is too clear. And I realize it's not spiritual rah-rah, sis-boom-ba-go team. Okay, I realize this isn't getting up here and saying, now that you're a Christian, God will give you everything you want when you want it, how you want it. That'd be a lie. That'd be an absolute lie. It's not, there's no profit for me to tell you the trials and tests of my 73, almost 74 years. Because like it is with all of us, I tell you, my trials, you've got a, a worse story. But your trial didn't affect me. My trial affected me. So whatever impact my trial had, it was on me. Your trials affect you. And you can't compare them one with another. If we compare ourselves among ourselves, measure ourselves by ourselves, we're not wise, Jesus, or Paul said. Well, it was Jesus through Paul. We're not wise. So I can't make these comparisons because my father loves me and you so much that for each one of us, what goes, what is happening in my life is controlled by him and limited by him to never be worse than what is necessary to help me come to the end of myself and realize living by my will doesn't work. Why? Because if I live by my will, I have no peace. I have no joy. I have no mercy. I receive no mercy. Do you know how many people there are that think they're spiritual because they pray? And the only thing they're praying for is for God to give them their will. And they religiously pray that every day. Do this, do this, do this. Don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. Change this, change this. Fix, 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 fix. And they call that prayer. And that one time that they asked God whether any of that was the will of God. So what do they pray? They're praying prayers of iniquity. If you're God, prove you love me by giving me my way. Now, let your child try that with you. You don't love me. Because if you love me, you'd let me do this. No, I'm saying no because I love you. Because let me tell you something. Contrary to popular opinion today, the most important thing you could teach your child is how to take no for an answer. If parents don't teach them that, somebody else will. 
And, and even if they refuse to learn it, there are consequences for that. So which God are you serving? Now, I, I've been studying the Bible diligently since 1965. Right after my 19th birthday. And I read this today, and it was very amazing to me as I read it again. And I read it before, and the Lord pointed me back to it. And, and I read this, and it was so amazing. Then I thought... Or he put the thought in my mind. The Red Sea rolled back. The Jordan River rolled back. And there was 40 plus years between those two incidents. And in between those two. I mean, you got to admit. we It's not exactly the same, but it would be close. Okay. Going out here to the Severn River and not needing a bridge because the Lord rolled the waters back and let you walk across from Jonas Green State Park to the other side of the river on dry ground. Now, you'd have to go, whoa, the first aquarium. Whoa, is that not amazing? So how can you experience that kind of miracle? And just a couple of years later, because Moses is going to the mountain, you know why Moses went up to the mountaintop? Because God talked to all of Israel and it by audible voice and it terrorized them. And they came to Moses and said, no, 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 no. We don't want to hear his voice. We can't take that. You talk to him and tell us what he says. So he's on the mountaintop doing what they ask him to do, communing with God and getting the instructions from God. And because he didn't do it in a few days, now they said, you know, we don't know about this Moses fella, but we, we want us a God. So Aaron, his brother, caved into pressure and collected their jewels and made them a molten calf or a metal cow. And they offered sacrifices to an inanimate object, a metal cow, and worshipped it as if it was their God. Do you know why people worship inanimate things? Because inanimate things don't have a will that competes with theirs. The reason they wanted that idol is because they could they could go through the motions and give all this reverence to the idol that they want to give and then the rest of their life is theirs because that that cow is not going to tell them what to do. And I don't care how many times it tells me to eat chicken. I still prefer hamburger. Too bad cow. Can you imagine that? They had experienced the, the seeing the ten plagues on the most powerful nation on earth at the time. They experienced that. They watched the Red Sea parted. They crossed on dry ground. Pharaoh and his army tries to follow them, and God kills them all at one time to deliver Israel because they wouldn't listen to God. Because all Pharaoh had to do was say, okay. 
Because Moses came and said, the Lord says, let my people go. And he said, no. Okay, you made the choice. There are consequences to your choices. Every time Moses came, he said, no, another plague. Never, every time he said, no, another plague. He had the right to choose. He was Pharaoh. But God had a right to do what he was going to do to say that your choice is the wrong choice. All the way up to the Red Sea. How did you go from all of that? Probably the most dramatic manifestations of God that's ever been in direct response to the needs of his people. How do you go from that to worshiping a cow two years later? How? How do you do that? How do you do that? And everybody over 40 died off, and they went into the promised land, and they went there by the Jordan River parting, and Joshua was their leader. And when Joshua died, there was another generation that rose up that was whose parents went through all of that, and then they saw all the miracles God did in delivering this land into their hands as God had promised them he would do. And yet the scripture says, after Joshua died, there arose a generation that knew not God. Why? It wasn't idols that was the problem. They only served idols because then they could run their own lives, make their own decisions. Which God are you serving? Now let's, I'm stopping, but that means I'm, I see the runway and I got the landing gear down and I'm on the glide slope, but it's an Air Force landing. It's not a Navy landing. It's Air Force landing is a long landing. Okay. So I'm on the glide slope. What are we? What is our decision going to be? Now, I've said this before, but on the night I married my wife, as I'm standing down front with a preacher, I look back there, and the door opens, and my father-in-law is dragging her down the aisle, and she's kicking it, screaming. Let me tell you right now. He wouldn't have made it about a third of the way down. I'd been back there and said, look, if she doesn't want to marry me any more than that, I don't want her. If she doesn't want me as much as I want her, I'm not, I'm not marrying her. Do you think God's going to save people kicking and screaming against their will and force them to be saved? Do we really, you know, if and this is one of the most ludicrous stupidest statement made by some of the smartest people you can imagine. I can't imagine a loving God doing those kind of things. He's not doing anything but responding to choices we make. And the fact that he's not doing anything but responding to our choices is proving he's not making anybody make the right choices. I can't believe a loving God would send people to hell. He's not sending anybody anybody to hell. He's just letting you know what your decision is. Because there's only going to be one will in heaven. 
Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. There's only going to be one will in heaven. And the only way I can go to heaven is to be in his will here, to do his will. Now, do I do his will perfectly every day? No. And anybody says they does, they, they do, they're a liar. Nobody does that perfectly. That's why there's the blood. That's why there was a cross and is a cross in our lives today. That's why he forgives. That's why he's willing to work with us. That's why he puts his own spirit in us to empower us and enable us to do what pleases him. But I don't do that every day. First John chapter 1 says, if you say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, his faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? That means my desire has to be to do the will of God. And I have to acknowledge that when I don't do his will, I sinned. I missed this mark, missed the mark. But he is more than willing and quickly forgives. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not on him, it's on us. And so do I do it perfectly every day? No. Do you do it perfectly every day? No. But the intent has to be. To do the will of the Father all day, every day. Why? He's God, I'm not. He's God, you're not. Now, hey, in this dimension called time, he's the only one that could limit himself to give you the authority to make your decisions. And he will not force you to do anything. He's never forced one person to be saved. He's never taken anybody's will away from them. You can walk out of here today and say, that is the biggest bunch of stuff I've ever heard in my life. I don't, I don't care anything about that. Uh, slight problem. Let me see the Bible for your decision, and I'll show you the Bible for mine. Oh, we don't have Bible for our decisions, do we? No. We don't need any other anything for our decisions. We make up our own minds. Fine. You're right. It's your right. But know this. Because you're not God and he is, there is an accountability for every decision of our will against his. I don't like that. Well, you didn't get yourself here, did you? He's God. We're not. He's the one that brought all this into existence. We didn't. Well, it's not fair. That's not true. It is fair. He's got all this he wants to do for you, to you, through you, with you. And all he requires is I'm simply willing to do his will. That's why, how can I know his will if I don't study the Bible? Well, it's too big and I can't know all that. Uh, that's the idea. It's a lifetime pursuit. Not only that, knowing and understanding what the Bible says is a direct result of my fellowship with God, not a, about my intellectual ability or my intellectual pursuit of the Word of God. You can become an, a, 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 an educated expert in the Bible and know nothing about God. Or you can know very little uh, of the nuances of the Bible and know God very well. 
You can do that. Now, we are living in a day that's unlike any day in my 74 years. I do believe this is a free country, and I believe people have a right to serve whatever God they want to here. Whether I agree with it or not, personally, it's not the issue. I appreciate the freedom of this country that lets me live by my faith, or at least it used to. And we're now in a time where that's not good enough for us to acknowledge that people have a right to live by their faith. We're now living in a time where people are wanting to impose their faith, their convictions on others. And it ha- it's not over. It's just beginning. It's just beginning. In the Navy, uh, well, Coast Guard's done the same thing in drug interdictions. But there's a ship. It's your enemy ship, and you you fire a warning shot across the bow that says, "I've got you in sight. I've got I've got the range down to you." This shot says, "Stop," or pay the consequences. So you shoot one long, you shoot one short. That tells you. The distance to the, you know how far that first shot was. You know what what range you shot the second shot. So you know that the ship is in between the two. And if they don't abide by that, and that's the enemy, you now fire for effect. And you don't miss with the third one. You miss with the first one. You miss with the second one. But you don't miss with the third one. And our God loves us so much. It is not, he does not do anything to get pleasure out of inflicting pain on us. No loving parent enjoys telling their child no. But you do what's best for them. Not for that moment, in their opinion, but what's best for them tomorrow and next year and ten years from now. And my God knows the end of all of this. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So between now and death, you have the right to make your decisions. He has a right to say, okay, you can make your decisions. But if you decide this, this is the consequence. If you decide this, this is the benefit. Your choice. It is your choice. If you want to live in the moment, you can do that. If you want to live for what's best for yourself and your offspring forever, different choice. It's a different choice. Which God are you serving? Which God are you serving? God or your own will? Now, this is the thing... (laughs) I love saying stuff that look impo- looks impossible so that when it happens, you'll know God said it. But you hear me right now. We have, are rapidly approaching a time when there are going to be enough people 
who are a part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, who are willing to be submitted to God's will and not do their own, where he will begin to do these kind of miracles again. And you're going to end up being a spectator of that or a part of that. And that's where the choice comes in. Many others have done the same thing that I've done, but I remember June the 5th, 1968, I stood on the field of uh, the Naval Academy, Naval Academy sta- Stadium with my classmates, and we fully understood what we were about to do. It was 1968. You ever heard of the Tet Offensive? You ever heard of Vietnam? And we stood there that day and willingly solidified the fact that we gave up our will and the choices over our life for the benefit of this country. Uh, What's your preacher's fanaticism? Really, then every person in the military is a fanatic for this country. Because when you swore your oath of allegiance to protect and defend this country, the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, you knew that part of defending could very possibly call your life because you were not going to go where you wanted to go and not going to do what you wanted to do and you weren't going to do it when you wanted to do it. You were going to go wherever you served at the pleasure of the President of the United States and all of that chain of command they had a plan, and they had the right to send you where they needed you to do what they needed you to do, when they needed you to do it. And if that puts you in harm's way, you signed up for it. No, I only joined up because of the benefits to get an education. Then <laughs> yeah, there was other ways to get an education without, being, without putting everything on the line. And every person sitting in this room who's ever made that oath to serve this country. What I'm preaching today is not strange to them at all. They lived it. And they did it for the greater good. You don't do that for yourself. You do that for the greater good. My dad fought in three wars. Served 30 years in the Navy. He was in the South Pacific for 39 straight months. He served in Korea. He served in Vietnam. Not one time did he ever leave us that I believe he wanted to be away from us. It was his duty. It was the commitment he made. And even though he loved my mother and he loved my brother and I, and finally later my sister, she's 16 years younger than me, He loved us, but his duty that he was committed to because he gave his word put the will of this nation and the needs of this nation ahead of his own will. That's why people who have served in the military have an advantage being Christians because Americans are born with the idea that we can just do anything we want when we want to do it, how we want to do it. 
even stuff that's illegal if we can get away with it. But a military person knows. They know what they know what it's like to serve for something bigger than yourself, to serve for purposes greater than you. And they also know that that commitment they made could very well cost them their life, leaving their wife or husband, widow or widower, leaving their children without a dad or a mom, all because they put the greater good ahead of their good. Now, some 20-plus years ago, for the first time in the history of this country, we have only had a volunteer military. There hadn't been anybody drafted. I don't remember the exact date, but it's around 20 years at least, maybe longer. Totally volunteer military. That means people are not being forced into the military. They're choosing. They're choosing to serve the greater good. Giving up their rights. Doesn't matter if you're sleepy. If it's time for you to stand watch in the middle of the night, you're going to stand watch and don't fall asleep because you're going to pay big time for it if you do. And maybe the military is a terrible experience for you because you didn't really realize that you were completely giving up your will for that period of time. But trust me, I appreciate those seven years of training I had because I'm living by those principles every day as a child of God. If I did that and my dad did that, put our lives on the line for the sake of this country. And this country hasn't died for me. Some did die for me, but the country didn't. And all while my classmates were fighting, military people were getting spit on in this country and cursed out and mistreated because they're in the military fighting the war. Why didn't you protest the draft? Really? Really? All that time, that's my experience. I mean, I, I still have a little hard time with the honor that the military is being given in most cases today. I have a hard time with it because I remember what it was like serving when you were despised in this country because you were fighting in a hated war. Why didn't you do like us and rebel? The only reason you could rebel because you had the freedom to do it. Because in other countries, the ones that you claim were really good, they kill people that rebel. But not here. Not here. I, I've gone longer than I thought I would. Honestly, I have. And uh, like you, I got stuff to do today. But I have to do the will of God. And I, I pray in Jesus' name that this word has found a lodging place in your heart and that the Spirit of God would be able to talk to you and you would face truth and not the fantasies that we've lived under, the, the delusions we've lived under, that we're somehow in control of our lives. I'm not in control. You're not in control. You have the right to try but it's short-lived 
because you don't control the day you die. And after that, the judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And what is the judgment? It's not a frowning God looking down there saying, why didn't you do what I told you to do? It's you're, you, you knew the choices. You had the, the liberty to choose. Now it's time to tell you what's going to happen because of your choices. Father, in the name of Jesus, I have spoken the words you've given me to say. And by your grace, I have not added to or taken away from those words. And you have spoken to us today. Nobody has any idea how much this was you today more than I do. You and I know that you have spoken to us today. I pray the spirit of grace upon each and every one of us that we would be able to receive this word, that we would see it with our spiritual eyes and hear it with our spiritual ears, and that we we would have a heart that's in tune with you enough to perceive that you've spoken to us and receive that word and believe it so that it would produce fruit in our lives for your kingdom, for your honor, for your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. And I will tell you this, my friend, as what I think is my last statement. This world, this country, is moving farther and farther away from the Word of God and the will of God. And if you don't solidify your place in God, in his will, you will go that direction with the world to your own hurt. But I acknowledge to you, if you solidify your place in God, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. And they're going to persecute you. And it's going to be a test of who your God is. Because if you change who and what you are and what you believe to please the crowd, rather than standing on the word of God as the word of God says it, it will be to your own soul. I read this just this week in study. It's been a long time since I really looked at the verse. But it says, in the last days, because iniquity... And Jesus defined iniquity as doing my will and not the Father's will. Because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. And the word wax means to grow gradually cold. Because if I live in iniquity, doing my will, not God's will, and I think I'm a Christian, that will eventually delude me until my love for Jesus gets so cold that I've separated myself completely from him and didn't even know I was doing it. I beg of you for your sake. I beg of you for the kingdom of God's sake. I beg of you, go to prayer. Ask God in your personal prayer, 
did is the things that the preacher said Sunday morning, is that true? Were you talking to me, God? Is that your word to me? Do I need to hear and believe that? Or is that just a bunch of stuff I don't have to worry about? God, show me what he was talking about in your word for myself. I beg you. I love you. I'm so happy you're here. But I'm here to tell you, sitting on these seats faithfully, paying your tithes faithfully, living a separated life faithfully, following the leadership of the pastor faithfully, cannot and will not save you. The only way you and I can be saved is to do the will of the Father, to do His will. In Jesus' name, I, this is ending up completely different than I was going thought it would, but it, I just work here. So I've prayed. You know why I'm not going to ask you to pray right now? Because my hope is that you won't pray for a few minutes and just out of sight, out of mind, you'll be done with this message. Now, this message was streamed live, believe it or not. And you can go to the website and watch it. It will be posted available to you if you want to watch it again. And you can stop it and look up all these verses I've used. But you can do that for yourself. You don't have to, but it's up to you. Since the Bible says if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. The only way that you can be assured of not follow, being blind and following a blind person is you, you check what the man of God says in the Bible for yourself. And any preacher that doesn't want you to check up on what they're saying, run. Run right now. I don't mean next week, next month. Run. Any preacher that's offended that you would go to the Bible and check to see what if what he said was in the Bible, do not trust that preacher. Don't trust him. Because your salvation is between you and Jesus. And the church and the preacher is only here to help. But you've got you've to be saved for yourself. You've got to know what the book says for yourself. You've got to obey the Bible for yourself. Praise God. I said I was done. Wheels have just touched down. God bless you. Thank you for your patience with me. And uh, I pray that you've received this to his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.